again, everyone. Um, we're going to continue our series, uh, Deeply Rooted, looking at the spiritual disciplines. And this morning, we're going to look at worship. And um, specifically, not worship in the broadest category. From a Christian perspective, uh, worship is made manifest uh, in obedience. Worship is made manifest in prayer, in reading the Bible. Uh, you know, the Bible says that the first command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. If you want to just summarize that command, it's worship God because he is worthy. It's that simple. Um, but this morning we're going to talk specifically, narrowly about worship as singing unto the Lord. Now, a second clarification I want to make this morning is the majority of the disciplines throughout church history have had both a private and a public aspect or a uh, in isolation and in community aspect. And so we talked about meditating upon the scriptures. That's something that you should do alone, but it's also something we participate in together as we gather. You pray by yourself, um, you know, in, in your prayer closet, like Jesus talks about, but we also come together and pray and affirm one another's prayers. And it's the same, and this may come as a surprise to you, but it should be the same with singing unto the Lord. Yes, we should and do come together and sing to God in worship. In fact, the Bible specifically references the fact that we're to do so. In the book of Colossians, it says we should sing psalms, songs, and spiritual hymns unto one another. In other words, there's an additional value to singing together to the Lord. But singing is also to be a regular discipline of the Christian life, whether gathered or alone. If you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and open it up to the book of Psalms. I can't imagine a better place to go than the songbook of the Bible to talk about singing, but specifically I want you to turn to Psalm 47. Now I just want to focus in this morning on just two verses from this psalm, and then we'll get started. So if you've turned to Psalm 47, go ahead and look at verses 6 and 7 with me. I'm going to read them aloud, and then we'll pray. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Let's pray. God, you have given us a voice. You have given us a heart that can make melodies. You have given us imaginations that compose. You've given us memories that remember. Uh, and you've also given us the call the call to sing aloud your praises, to worship you with our voice, to make a joyful noise, to shout unto the Lord, to sing psalms and songs and spiritual hymns and make melody in our hearts. I pray as we look at this practice this morning, we would understand its value. 
and we would take further steps to cultivate this discipline and exercise in our life, that our life would be one where our mouth is filled with singing, where we find regularly a song in our hearts and upon our lips, and we express our worship to the God who is worthy. We pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at these verses this morning, it's not hard to see what the application is. When we read the Bible, you can break down the thing it says into two types of statements. There are indicatives, statements about who God is, about what God has done, and there are imperatives, okay? Things that we are called or told to do, commands, okay? And as Christians, our imperatives, our commands, are always based on indicatives. We merely respond to who God is and what he has done. As Christians, we don't come to God like a genie in a bottle or a snack machine in the airport, and we put in our money or put in our wishes, and then he responds by giving. Instead, the Bible declares that God is the initiator that he is the giver, that God has done, therefore we should respond. And this affects everything in our life. Um, But this indicative imperative paradigm is so simple in these verses. Let me read it again and just categorize what's going on here. What are the indicatives of this verse? What does this tell us about who God is? Look at verses 6. Uh, and seven, uh, specifically in seven, for God is the king of all the earth. That's the why. That's the reason. That's what we're called to respond to. to respond to. In fact, notice in verse six, it says, sing praises to God. And then it says, sing praises to our king. And then it puts them together. For God is the king of all the earth. Okay. So there's, as, uh, as Nick kind of pointed to, there's only one God. He is sovereign, and he is sovereign over everything, okay? But when we get to the imperative, it's even easier. We don't have to do any work. How should we respond to that? We should sing. It's as simple as that. It says it five times in two verses. Sing praises, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises. And did I mention that you should sing praises, right? The the emphasis here is so simple. If we wanted to summarize this entire Uh, two verses into what it says about God and what we should do. Praise God because he's worthy. Sing to God because he's king. It's as simple as that. The Bible puts an extensive emphasis on singing. Singing to God is referenced over a hundred times from Genesis to Revelation, and we, as God's people, are commanded to sing over 50 times. And it's not just here within the hymnal of the Bible we call the Psalms, but consider both Colossians and Ephesians talking about our place in Christ says that we should respond to what God has done by singing songs. Now, when we answer the question, why should we sing? There's two different parts to that. One we've already covered. Why should we sing? Because God is worthy of worship. Because God is worthy of praise. Because he's worth singing about. But beyond that, why singing? 
Remember that singing is not something that, uh, you know, like the little drummer boy in the Christmas song looked at ourselves and said, well, what's the one thing I could give God? I don't have anything to give, but I know how to play the drums. It's not like that, right? God created music. He gave us the ability to sing. Um, In fact, singing shows up in the Bible in the opening chapters of Genesis, in the first civilization, the city that Cain builds. One of his uh, descendants starts to build instruments, and music has been a part of every culture, in every time, in every place. Before there were books, before there were movies, before there were, uh, you know, dioramas and other ways that we imaginatively express ourselves, before there was furniture, there was singing. And so here the Bible maintains that there's a reason we should sing to the Lord. And ultimately, I want to connect it with three different areas this morning. Singing is valuable for us. Singing does three things. It connects the truth of who God is. And I mean that in two ways. One, it connects the truth of who God is in terms of response, like we already talked about. It connects the indicative with the imperative, okay? Um, But second, it connects who God is uh, with aspects or facets of our life, okay? And specifically, I'm thinking of three, okay? Singing songs connects the truth with our body, with our mind, and with our heart. Now, that's a really simple outline for today, and that's intentional, but I want to walk through those ideas. And I want to focus on the first one. Uh, We sing songs to connect the truth with our bodies. Now, one of the things that we always need to keep in mind is that God created us embodied. This is not just a vessel that contains the real you. It's not just something that is a vehicle that you drive around with your own self. You are embodied, okay? When somebody keys your car, they hurt your property. When they cut your arm, they hurt you, right? It is an essential part of who you are. Now, as Christians, we are not materialists. We do not believe that that's all that you are. We wouldn't reduce all that a human being is to firing synapses and chemical, uh, chemical uh, reactions and a long history of cause and effect. But your body is really a part of you. In fact, so much so, remember that in Genesis, uh, God creates your body and calls it good. In the Gospels, God takes on a body and still has one today. In heaven, when we meet Jesus Christ, we will meet him as God in the flesh. And the Gospel promises that one day, God will take our bodies as broken and as fallen as they are and restore them and give us new bodies like Jesus has. Okay. In fact, listen to the words it says uh, in Romans chapter 8. It says that we ourselves groan along with all of creation, awaiting the adoption of the sons of God, the redemption of our bodies. In 1 Corinthians, it puts it this way. It says that uh, the body was not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Why did Jesus come? He came for your body. 
Again, that's because your body is an essential part of you. Now, what does this have to do with singing? Because you are not merely a mind, a disembodied brain, okay? Singing takes the thoughts you feel about God, takes the affirmations you have about God, and makes them physical. Think of the difference between a mental thought you have, whether it's high in joy or low in despair, whether it's big or small, and the words that come out of your mouth. There is where your thoughts enter the realm of the physical world. It's there where thoughts reverberate, not just in your vocal cords, but out your mouth and into the air around you, bouncing off of everything, right? That physicality is significant. And if you don't think it's significant, think of how important it is to you in other relationships. How do you know that someone loves you? Do you just feel their mental good vibes? Do you, uh, you know, through some sort of psychic energy, determine how someone feels about you? No, it's through their touch. As, as the old song says, you know, it's in his kiss, right? It's when it becomes physical, through the way they interact with you, through the words that they speak, through their tone of voice. How significant is that for communication? Guess what? Your thoughts don't have any tone, okay? When we worship God, he calls us to worship him with heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And that involves the body. Now, this does a couple of things that are really significant in terms of the body. One is it fills the world with the praises of God. Think of how many times in the scripture it talks about the world being filled with the sound of singing. Even to the point in Isaiah where the trees join in and clap their hands and the animals praise God, right? God envisions a world that's full of singing like the old, you know, cartoons that portray happiness with the flowers bobbing back and forth and the trees singing and the birds joining the chorus and all of this. God is worthy of that type of worship, a worship that rings throughout the countryside. But also... When we sing, we don't just make physical, make real, make manifest God's worthiness, but we also make it manifest for us. Like I said, in Colossians, it says that one of the reasons we're to sing psalms, songs, and spiritual songs is to one another. Have you ever thought about that? Isn't it interesting that when Paul finally addresses the importance of singing when we gather corporately of making singing a part of our church service, that he says that we should do it to one another. You would expect him to say, sing songs unto God. But the value of singing to one another is built into this physicality because we don't just need to sing. We need to hear. We need to be reminded of who God is. We need to hear with our own ears, reverberating off our own eardrums, the truths and the amazing thing is uh, you can impact your own worship like a feedback loop by singing and hearing what you're singing. It's not just expressing bodily how we really feel or what the truths really are. It's not just the verbal amen on the reality of who God is, it also cultivates, it also teaches. In fact, that brings us to the second point here. 
Singing songs to God connects truth with your mind. And I, uh, I want to focus primarily this morning on memory. Okay. Now, you guys know this is the case. How many jingles do you have stuck in your head from childhood that will never leave you? Why is it that I know the address of Scruff McGruff? right? Because Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. I can do Stick Stickly from Nickelodeon as well. Why is it that I know the German dative prepositions? Because my teacher wisely said it to the Blue Danube Waltz. Aus, ausur, bei, mit, noxite, von, su, right? Why is it that we talk about an earworm? How come you never can't get a conversation out of your head? even from one of your favorite films, right? But music sticks in a significant way. It makes things memorable. It reminds. This is just the the nature of music. If you want to learn something, sing something. Now, I know that many of us have used this as a life hack on some study binge preparing for a big final or things like that, but also recognize that this is part of God's design. The songs that we sing as a church are truth memorized, and they're supposed to be. It's what takes the truth of the Bible and starts to invest it in our minds. In fact, going back to that passage in Colossians that says we should sing songs, psalms, and spiritual songs to one another, this is how it begins. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, we've already talked about the value of Bible meditation for just that reason. But when we sing, it cultivates a rich dwelling of the word in our minds, okay? It is through the singing of songs that are true and songs that are good that we begin to lay the foundation of who it is we will remember, of who it is that we will cry out to, of who it is that we need right now. This is why, by the way, pastors sometimes get up in arms about worship songs and what they say. It's not just because the truth doesn't reflect rightly who God is. It's the fact of you singing it will shape your view of God. It will cultivate an understanding of who God is that will be stronger than sermons, stronger than your Bible reading, stronger than your study of theology. If you want to learn something, and not just in the sense of remember it, but actually believe it and know it to be true, you sing it. And that seems to be the way that God has designed music. Okay. If you want to memorize scripture, make up a tune. You'll be amazed how much that improves your memory of it. But if you want to remember who God is when you need to remember, if you want to remember the light when the days are dark, if you want to embrace God's goodness when it's not so seen, if you want to flee to the one who holds you together like we sang this morning instead of escaping to some other practice, you should sing. Singing connects the truth with our minds. It cultivates a memory of who God is. 
I think this is one of the reasons why we cultivate preferences in worship. And I don't just mean of style and music, but song choice, right? I've been a Christian long enough now, and I've been in enough settings that I have uh, periods, like Picasso has painting periods. I have periods of worship, right? And so there are songs I sing sometimes that were only sung in the church I got saved in by the pastor's wife with a guitar. They were simple. They were hippie music from the 70s, right? And then there's the music uh, uh, from from my friend Riley Taylor, who helped me start this church. Uh, and that stuff is part of my worship. There's new songs that I'm learning. There's songs that become significant because I was at some sort of a conference and we sang it together and it solidified that moment in time. Uh, that is part of, of how worship works and it shouldn't be ignored or avoided. In fact, I would suggest to you that there's a reason why some worship songs are still sung today after decades or even hundreds of years. And it's because this, because they've become part of the corporate memory of the church. Okay, So when we sing, we connect the truth with our bodies. We express with the real you who God really is. We express it in a way where other people can hear whether that's intended or unintended. It doesn't matter if it's your neighbor out the window or the person sitting next to you in the pew or even just that feedback loop of teaching yourself. When we sing, we connect the truth of who God is with our mind, both so we remember it and so we begin in a deeper way, in a stronger way to believe it. And then finally, when we sing, we connect the truth of God with our hearts. And here I'm specifically talking about our emotions and our affections. Okay. And when we talk about our emotions, we should think about what singing does in two ways. First, recognize that singing is, is clearly an emotional reality. It's designed to be. We sing how we feel. We look for songs that reflect how we feel. And so when you go through the dark ages of puberty, right? You flee to either, uh, you know, a, um, a boisterous pop music that can overcome these things and express, you know, the, the joyful essence of youth or to the dark and despairing, you know, moody, broody music of the, you know, the other side of the coin. Uh, the relationship between emotions and music is so strong that emotion or that songs can move us in a way that almost nothing else can. If you don't believe me, because I know some of you are really into movies, you think, oh, movies can move you. Try deleting the soundtrack and see if they still move you the way uh, the way that you think they do. Um, the truth is, music stirs our hearts in a significant way. It's an emotional reality. There are songs to this day that I can't hear hear without reacting to. Okay, uh, since since we're you know set up in this very private confessional, uh, the Moody Blues Night, "Nights in White Satin" is this way for me. That song is so intertwined with my teenage dating years and with my history as a human being and then so full of energy and emotion, it's overwhelming for me. And that, again, is something that I would suggest that is by design. In the same way that your body is a part of who you are, so are your emotions. And so the Bible doesn't treat emotions as negative, but it also doesn't treat them as neutral. 
It treats them as a real part of you. And so one of the reasons we should sing is to express what we're really feeling, to give words to our heart. That's why we find in the Psalms and in the hymnal of the church throughout history, not just songs of praise and joy, but also laments. That's why we find songs of thanksgiving. That's why we find songs of awe and admiration. The diversity of the Psalms, for example, is rooted in the diversity of human emotional experience. And so what I'm suggesting to you is when you feel, fill in the blank, there is a way to give expression to that in song. And again, our culture does this all the time. It's why we have the blues. But we can also do it in a way that connects our emotions with God. And again, this is a multifaceted uh, f- faceted reality. You may go, yeah, but the, the things that I'm feeling aren't connected with God. That's exactly the point. If you are feeling elated, you know, like a whistle on your way home from work. Maybe you got a raise or, uh, or maybe, you know, it's some smaller big thing in your life. But if you're stirred towards joy, use songs to remember that God is the giver of all good gifts. If you are struggling, uh, if you are in need of help, then recognize that the Psalms is full of songs that cry out to God. If you're feeling sad, you can weep musically and you can do it in a way that brings that weeping before the Lord. Think of the difference between, um, you know, uh, some of the hymns that we sing, like all creatures of our God and King, right? Lift up your voice and let us sing, oh, praise him, hallelujah. It's big, it's beautiful. And then think of uh, it is well with my soul which, let me remind you, was written by someone who was processing tremendous grief and loss. And although it's full of these beautiful truths, it's expressing simultaneously sadness. Um, Or think of, or love that will not let me go. A song that was written after being turned away multiple times in love. These are emotional songs that give us ways to express ourselves and connect with God, recognizing that he is either the cause of our joy, of our peace, of our hope, or the solution to our despair, our discouragement, our problems. But this brings us to a related idea, and this is why I said emotions and affections. Okay. Your affections are, are not merely emotional. Affections are specifically longings. They have to do with your desires. I always think of your affections like the, the orientation of your heart, the place that it's focus, focusing, what it's looking to. In this way, singing operates like a mold. Okay? Because the truth is, not all of our emotions uh, are fully cooked. Sometimes they're half-baked. They're very strong in their impact, uh, and they can deeply change our behavior uh, or our choices, but not always in a good and true way. 
we can have feelings that are disconnected with the truth of God. What do we do with those feelings? In this case, if you take kind of the liquid reality of emotions, the Psalms and the songs of the church operate as molds. Okay, They give those liquid emotions shape. They solidify them into a place that's right and proper. In other words, what I'm suggesting to you this morning um, is that, uh, that singing is like a bridle for our emotions. It helps us to steer them in the right direction. It helps us to take what we're feeling and move on to um, our affections, right? Affecting towards the Lord, facing towards him, turning ourselves untowards him uh, or uh, towards him, unto him. And so singing here uh, is valuable because uh, it functions as training, as exercise. It cultivates. It doesn't just express. It goes beyond expression to giving shape to. And so in this sense, we should sing not just to express what we're really feeling, but to engage with what we're really feeling in a productive way, in a way that encounters and involves itself with the truth of who God is. And again, songs like It Is Well um, or Love That Will Not Let Me Go, uh, these songs are, uh, are helpful tools in shaping our emotions and pointing our affections towards the Lord. Practically, what does it look like to cultivate the discipline of singing? Like all of the other spiritual practices, the only way that you learn it and the only way you grow in it is to do it. Okay, that's how exercise works in exercising it. That's how practices work in practicing them. But maybe you look at your life and you go, well, where, where would that even take place? I'd like to suggest just a couple of obvious candidates, okay? The first one I would suggest is the places where you already sing, okay? So you're in the car on your way to or from work, and you crank up your favorite song, and you sing along in your car, right? Dashboard karaoke. Maybe you sing in the shower. Maybe you find tunes stuck in your head and you just, you know, quietly under your breath sing them. Those are all places where that singing is just as viable as worship. All it takes is the intentional choice to do so. Another place that I would like to suggest for those of you who have roommates or families, try singing a simple chorus before you eat. As you gather for dinner and as you sit down, take one of the more simple songs uh, that you know and just sing it together once or twice through the chorus. Again, there is a corporate value to singing together. Where I experience uh, uh, a lot of my singing when my children were young, and I don't know anything that impacts the possibility of cultivating spiritual disciplines than people under the age of seven and the tremendous constant interruption they are to your life. Rhythms are really hard to make when, when your roommates aren't potty trained, right? Uh, in this case, the place where I found myself singing 
was when my infant child had a hard time sleeping and I was rocking them back to sleep. I made my favorite hymns their lullabies. And I sang them, you know, in the darkness of the night, in the, uh, in the quiet of the living room, and these types of things. Uh, there are places where you can sing. And the second thing you might say is, is well, that's, that's all well and good, but I don't, I don't really know songs that well. I don't really know any worship songs. I would suggest to you, uh, again, that that is not a hard thing to overcome that songs are built to be memorized. And so you can make yourself a playlist and sing along. Um, uh, for this lip sync battle, uh, the song that I did is a tongue twister of a song. Um, but my, my, my software I use to listen to music, the Amazon music stuff, it has lyrics right there. And so I was able to pull up the lyrics and read it and sing along live. I didn't have to practice I just read them aloud. But the truth is, as I did that over and over, it was taken in. This is really good news because it means that you can select songs. You can focus on songs, not just songs that you already love, but songs that you need to learn from. You see, the worship of the church reflects all three of these realities. There are songs that are designed to be embodied. They're beautiful. They, they are, are aesthetically pleasing, and so singing them is worship in the best sense. There are also songs that are focused so deeply on the truth. For me, one of my favorite hymns that we sing is Before the Throne. And I love that song because I love reflecting on the reality of what Jesus is doing right now, and that all the condemnation I can feel from the devil is challenged by the living Christ. And so maybe there are truths you need to learn. And again, not just in the mental ascent, but in the really believe that you believe sense. Find a hymn that, that uh, will teach you that truth and make it your meditation. Make it the song of your heart. Also, uh, many of the modern songs we sing are better at expressing emotion, right? They're more personal. There's more personal pronouns. I and me. It expresses our response to the Lord. And if you find yourself unemotional in your walk with God, you can cultivate even that negation of emotions, that apathy towards understanding who God is by engaging with these things. In fact, I would suggest to you, you really need a well-balanced diet in the way that you sing. You need songs that are full of strong truth. You need songs that are, uh, that are just innately beautiful. You need songs that stir your emotions and express your heart you need both things that seem natural to you and ones that you're trying to cultivate. And so one thing I would suggest to you is to work on a playlist. And maybe you're going to make a playlist and you're going to sing along with it. But there's also a beauty and a value in a cappella. Like singing at church and putting the slides up and having a leader, sometimes that gives us permission and freedom not to learn the songs. Right? Whereas acapella forces us to be the one voice who gets it right and these types of things. But I'm suggesting you should be intentional. Take the songs that are significant to you. Post a little post-it note play playlist on your mirror. And as you know, you're going through your morning routine, just sing. Set your alarm to a worship song that you want to learn and let it play the whole way through as you're, you know, coming to in the morning. There's so many ways that you can do this. 
But I would suggest to you that this should be a regular part of your life as a Christian, singing aloud to the Lord. With people or without people, it doesn't matter. In the middle of the night, from your bed on your knees, right? The Bible is full of places. The truth is, Isaiah envisions a time where God's glory will cover the earth like water covers the sea. And a significant part of that is singing. When we look in the book of Revelation, we see that one of the things that we will do forever, one of the things that's already expressed in heaven, is the regular practice of singing worship to the Lord who is worthy. When we pray that uh, God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, we enter into that will by singing his praises. D.L. Moody was asked one time, what do you think about all of the ways that people present for receiving the empowering of the Holy Spirit? And he said, I don't care how you get it, just get it. (laughs) Which in that topic is probably not very helpful, but I would suggest the same thing to you. Keep trying till you find something that works for you. But I promise you this, singing to the Lord as a regular practice will change your life. It'll change your attitude. It'll change the sense of intimacy you have with God. It will reform who you know God to be, who you believe God to be. It will change your, um, your impulses. When things get hard, if you have a tendency uh, to only turn to God as a last resort, singing to him regularly will make him the first on your speed dial. Singing is a way to enter into the continuous practice of communion with God. And I would encourage you, another place that's really good to start this practice is in this super strange season. As we're about to go into worship right now, you may be sitting alone by yourself with your mic on mute and tempted uh, to continue to nurse your coffee or to check your Facebook instead of singing. But the value of singing as we've presented it this morning is not lost by our inability to hear one another. Okay. And so I would encourage you, make it a goal this week, this month, this year to become a singer unto the Lord. And I didn't mention it. I feel like I don't have to because some of you have sat behind me and heard me sing. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. The Bible only calls us to make a joyful noise. It doesn't call for anything uh, more beautiful than that. And I would suggest to you that God would say the same thing to you, he said to Moses. Moses said, but I'm not a good speaker. And he said, who made your mouth? God has given you a voice. Use it to his glory. Let's pray. Father, I just want to confess that this discipline is on the list because it seems so rare in my life and in the life of the church as a whole. We want to be a people who sings your praises, whether gathered or scattered. We want to sing unto you when we are sad, when we are scared, when we are hopeful, when we are overwhelmed by your goodness. We want our hearts to be filled with the song of you. And God, we need to know your truth better. We need to feel it more. We need our feelings to be shaped by it. We need to express it in this world of physical reality, because you are worthy. And so I pray that you'd work at all these levels in our church, 
that you would send reminders of the songs that have been the sweetest to us, the ones that have been like medicine to our soul or a script for our heart. I want to pray as well, Lord, that you would show us the times where we can make a regular practice of singing. And I want to lift up parents and roommates especially, because there's nothing more awkward than learning to do something that is different and inviting other people to embrace that difference with you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, you would give courage and confidence and even joy in participation of singing together, Lord. I thank you for the musicians that you've given us, the ones who can sing so we can follow, the ones who can accompany with music, the ones who can write and compose from imagination. And I pray for a great increase in those things, Lord, so that we would be a singing people. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.